If you're looking for a travel destination, a memorable vacation holiday, then look no further than Georgia. Not the state in the United States, but the country that is just below Russia, right next to the Black Sea, and one of the most amazing places I have ever been. And today's guest actually lives in Georgia, so we talk about Georgian food, the culture, the wine, and so many of the great things that you can expect from an amazing trip there. Let's get started. Welcome, welcome to the Nomadic Foodist Show, a podcast for food-obsessed travelers. My name is Chris, your host, and I help people discover amazing food all around the world. I'm really excited about this interview I have with Emily Lush. She is the blogger behind Wander Lush, where she chronicles her adventures around the world, specifically where she is living right now in Georgia. And my wife and I have been to Georgia twice now, and it's one of the only countries we've decided that we have to go back and revisit. And we've even been talking about it again, going a third time. We've just had so much fun. The food is so delicious, and everything is really affordable there that we just want to go back and experience more of Tbilisi, the capital, but also the other cities and other parts of the country as well. And um, Emily just goes into great depth about uh, the nuances of the culture, and I can finally ask some of my questions and get some clear answers about why they do some things, what parts are interesting, and we talk about the wine, which is an amazing culture in of itself, and then we dive into the food aspect as well. A few other destinations, like where she traveled to for her uh, first big trip um, abroad, going to like Thailand and Southeast Asia, living in these other countries for years at a, at a time, and we finish up with some of her best travel experiences around the world. So here is my interview with Emily from Wanderlush. Emily, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We're excited to hear about your adventures and travel stories from around the world, but. Uh, Let's start off with an introduction. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your blog. Great. Thank you, Chris, uh, for having me. So my name is Emily. Um, I run a travel blog called wanderlosh.org. Um, I've been doing that since 2015. It's now my full-time job, my full-time gig. Um, so I'm Australian. I'm from Brisbane originally, and I left Australia in 2015, the same time I started my blog. And yeah, I've been overseas, living, traveling uh, since then. Been back home, of course, for various stints. But uh, yeah, doing all sorts of different things overseas. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. The, the past three years, I've been in the country of Georgia. So that is where I currently am, where I'm currently living. Um, and the country that I really am very passionate about and write a lot about on my blog. So my blog has just become sort of very, very focused on Georgia since uh, since the pandemic. I was here throughout the pandemic and because I was a bit limited in my traveling, of course, uh, it just kind of grew into a big resource on, on the country of Georgia. So that's definitely my focus and my passion. Yeah, Georgia is by far, I have to say, one of my favorite countries I've ever visited. And my wife would agree as well. We just, <laughs> the first time we went it was just like this mind-boggling experience, like super nice people, delicious, amazing food, everything super cheap. And then the wine is by far one of our favorite places ever to drink wine. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. I do want to go, we're going to go into like, you know, in-depth details about Georgia here in a little bit. And I, I can't wait to pick your brain about it. 
But uh, I am curious about a few things about your background. Like, like, how did you grow up? I feel like a lot of people who go on these long-term trips or if they become travel bloggers, their upbringing really affected their outlook on food and travel. So what was that like for you? Yeah, I guess I was really lucky. Um, when I was younger, my parents are both big travelers and they really saw value in giving my sister and I travel experiences from an early age. So I was very, very lucky to travel with them. Uh, when I was younger. And that was mostly, you know, close to home. So places like Fiji, Vanuatu, we also went to the States a bunch of times, um, and then to Europe. Uh, so, the, you know, traveling has always been part of my life, um, definitely from from as early as I can remember. Some of my first memories are of, uh, you know, experiences overseas. So really lucky in that respect. Um, I don't think my parents really thought that I would end up leaving Australia and traveling full time. I'm not sure they really wanted uh, that to be the, the outcome of this, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, this this influence, but that's what happened. I mean, yeah, it's funny. Like I'm a very, um, like, you know, I'm a kind of an anxious and control freaky person and being overseas is just like every day I'm pushed out of my comfort zone and I don't know why I do it to myself, but there's just something very addictive about, um, you know, being being in a new environment, being being somewhere, you know, totally foreign and having to, to figure it out as you go. And I kind of fell in love with the challenge of that when I left Australia. Um, you know, of course, there were a bunch of other travel experiences that happened to me sort of between these family trips and and me deciding to, to leave the country sort of semi-permanently. Um, one of the big ones was going to Southeast Asia for the first time. And that was sort of the first trip that I did without my parents. I went with my boyfriend he's now my husband so we um that was kind of one of our first trips together to a part of the world that I really knew nothing about and just completely fell in love with uh, Southeast Asia places like Thailand and Vietnam and that really influenced me to start thinking about living overseas and maybe pursue some line of work where I could at least travel more if not you know, be an expat or be someone who could live abroad. Um, so that was a huge, a huge trip for me. And that was in my early 20s. And after that trip, I went back to university. I started studying communication for social change. I wanted to work in international development. And I did do that for a few years at first. And for sure, you know, it gave me those opportunities in the beginning to live overseas. So um, that was kind of how I got started. But yeah, if you know, I don't have a good reason really for 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 why why this happened or how how I sort of fell into this. It's not something I planned, and you know, in many ways, it doesn't really suit my personality at all. But still, it's just something that this is kind of how it's worked out. Um, yeah, but I've always, you know, everywhere I go, I try and make a home, and I love slow traveling, and I love living in a place and really getting to know it. So my home body attitude sort of does come out from time to time. Yeah. So with making this big leap, I can definitely understand the, I guess the, uh, the whole like getting pushed out of your comfort zone to try these new places. It really is an addictive thing. I am very type A. I'm a big planner. I like knowing what's ahead, the next few steps. I like planning for contingencies and such, but long-term travel, slow traveling, it really is just constantly um, I guess, nudging you in a certain direction of, okay, you're not ready for this. You don't know what to expect. And it can be, um, I guess, a little bit tough. But I don't know, for me, that's part of the adventure too, right? I know that's, that's probably how most people feel when it comes to like travel and 
trying these new experiences because adventure isn't always smooth. You know, exploration is never just a, a an easy point A to point B journey. There are obstacles in the way, there are mishaps, and there are things that can kind of, I guess, set you back. Like, how did you stay encouraged and to keep pushing yourself to travel when these sort of uncomfortable moments kind of popped up for you? I guess, you know, you, you sort of learn over time that these things always work out, you know, the solution to whatever problem, be it very, very small, something minor or something more important, you know, things just sort of work themselves out. I think when you're traveling and you're constantly encountering people and situations where just magically things start to, to fall together and there's something so like just like relieving and rewarding about coming out of these, these situations and just looking back and being like, wow, I can't believe I was so stressed about that. And yeah, I think I kind of got, um, you know, very sort of, like I said, addicted to that kind of, um, <laughs> that cycle almost. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I also have to say that having my husband, you know, he's always traveled with me since, uh, since that first trip. And, you know, we've, we're really, you know, very close, of course. And, you know, having him as a support was, um, has always been very, very important. And also having my parents, you know, back home, always encouraging me as well in, in their way. So yeah, it's, it's, it's funny how, how these things happen, but, um, yeah, I, I, I love, just love the challenge and love, you know, doing something different. And, you know, sometimes I think, you know, maybe life, life isn't supposed to be easy all the time, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's you know, I don't have, I don't have to, I don't have to be here. I don't have to be traveling uh, all the time, but I, I do really enjoy just having an interesting life where crazy things happen. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And if you can think back to when you first um, went on this long a journey and started your blog. I mean, what was the the one thing that kind of really pushed you in that direction to really take that plunge forward? Yeah, I think, you know, I wanted to be independent and to kind of prove to myself that I could do it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I wanted, I, I it's, it's hard to think about now, but I, I just desperately wanted to do something different to kind of take a different path or to explore other options other than what all my friends were doing, which was, I'm from Brisbane, which is like the third biggest city in Australia. And it's, you know, very traditional for, uh, you know, when you graduate high school, when you're in uni, you go to Melbourne or Sydney um, to like a bigger city. Um, and I kind of resisted that. I wanted to do something different. I was like, you know what, I'm going to go, <laughs> I'm going to look kind of bigger, bigger than that and, and go somewhere different. You know, it took me a couple of years, but I, I guess I just wanted to, to try something different, to test myself, to see if I could do it. Um, and I also, you know, I was very interested in, um, like I said, I was, I became interested in development and in, uh, you know, I don't want to say helping people that that's too, too generic, but yeah, I became very interested in this world of like, you know, maybe sustainable travel could be like a really powerful thing um, for some communities and for some people. And that's still something that's really important to me and that I try and emphasize in my in my work even to this day. And I, I don't know, I just thought, you know, maybe I could have, you know, I could fit into that somehow. I could make that part of my life. Absolutely. So where were the first few places you traveled to after you started your travel blog? So I started my blog from 
Thailand. Uh, so the first place we went, you know, basically I finished my master's degree and then right after that I was like, okay, you know, we're moving to Thailand. Like we're just going to do it. We're just going to go <laughs> and be be digital nomads. I guess this was kind of, this was in 2015. So at least in my world, digital nomadism was not a big thing yet. I'm sure people were doing it, but I thought I was really cutting edge going to Chiang Mai. Um, you know, then you get there and you see everyone else had the same idea. But um, we so we started in we started in Thailand and I started my blog when we arrived, um, and it was just very much like a project. You know, I was trying to do a bit of freelance writing, and the thing about freelance writing is that you have to be constantly like pitching stories and trying to sell your ideas, and I'm terrible at that. So I thought I'm just going to start a blog and write what I want to write on my own platform. That was kind of how it started. Um, and of course, you know, great material everywhere uh, in Thai, at a place like Thailand. I am very interested in like culture and food and festivals and textiles and all this sort of thing. So I just had a great time writing what what I now consider to be, you know, kind of pointless uh, content that probably no one found helpful, but that I really enjoyed the process of writing it. And I think that was really important in the beginning of my blog to just you know, have zero expectations and to just enjoy the process. Um, so that's kind of how I treated it for a really long time until I decided to take it more seriously and to really move away from this, you know, international development route that I saw myself going down. After Thailand, we ended up doing two years in um, Cambodia and in Vietnam, so one year in each. Um and that was through a, a program that's kind of like the Australian version of the Peace Corps. So I did work in um, NGOs for a couple of years um, and I did really enjoy that. But it was always the the travel part and the just the immersing myself in another city that I really, really loved. Um, so when it became clear that I could actually, you know, take blogging seriously as a business, as a career, um, I sort of switched my thinking a little bit and and thought that I would follow that at least for a little while and see where it took me. Um, but yeah, definitely those first years in Southeast Asia were really, really important to kind of setting me up um, where I ended up where I ended up going. I'm not too sure what it is about Southeast Asia, but it really brings out the uh, that like inner traveler and explorer because it's so much different. Then, um, like in the United States, like Western culture and how that's like, and I don't know for for me and a lot of other people I've interviewed, that's like the first place it goes, like Thailand, Vietnam, or um, Cambodia are kind of like the three places, and that's where I started yeah. off too. I mean, goodness, the when our first yeah. our first long trip abroad, you know, our first like six month trip, we started off in Bangkok, Thailand, and it was just a it's crazy, right? Like how much food is in <laughs> Thailand and the variety, right? It's just mind-blowing. It's yeah. bonkers. Yeah. Oh, uh, Thai food will always be my favorite. Um, you just can't get any better than that. But yeah, that's funny. We we flew into Bangkok too. And I can remember, you know, just being in the city, like I had my money belt, like a good traveler on under my uh, clothes. And I was just like, oh my God what am I doing? It was just a crazy, <laughs> su- such a good, such a good memory when you're just totally out of your depth. And yeah, I think those, those big cities in Asia, Southeast Asia are just so good for that kind of <laughs> baptism of fire. 
Yeah. What are some of the dishes from like Thailand or Vietnam or Cambodia that you just love so, so much? Uh, Khao Soi is like oh. absolutely my favorite. Oh. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. <laughs> of course, you're in Chiang Mai, you know, Khao Soi is like, like it. It was like so freaking good. I love it. So good. Yeah. My husband and I both love it. We actually on our wedding, like we had our wedding in Australia and we chose it the only Thai restaurant that did khao soy in Brisbane. And so we had our reception at this, at this <laughs> Thai restaurant because it's just like the the best thing. Like so many memories att- attached to eating khao soy. And um, oh, yeah, I can't get any better than that. But yeah, I, I love everything. I mean, you know, super fresh, super, I'm not a huge fan of spicy food, definitely. So that's like, you know, something you kind of have to adjust to. But um, oh, I would, I would eat, you know, I would burn my mouth to a, to a, to a, to fizzle out all my taste buds just for a good bowl of khao soy, definitely. Yeah. Well, can you describe khao soy to people who may not understand or know about the dish? Well, it's kind of like a a noodley soup thing. Um, so I think it can either be with with chicken or with pork. I think it's mainly done with chicken. Um, and there are like different textures of noodles. So you have like these in in the in the brothy soup. You have like soft noodles, right? And then you have like crispy noodles on top. And it's just like a really complex. You know, Thai is like always uh, always known for its like very complex balance of flavors. And I think this dish is like really, you mm-hmm. know, salty, sweet, spicy. It just kind of does it all. And then on the on when it comes on the table, you um you add in, I love how you add in all your different condiments in the ratios that you prefer. So you pop in your pepper and uh your like shallots and pickled bits and you can kind of I think it's so cool how you the the dish as it's presented to you is and then it's just like a building block and you kind of add in the flavors so every everyone ends up a little bit different um so yeah that's how I kind of remember it and I remember <laughs> I remember you know you find you, you end up finding a place that you really love and you just go back there over and over again and it's so affordable and you know it's so like you know you're sitting on those plastic stools there's nothing better than that I don't know what it is about hot soup on hot days but I love it I don't know you just you're sweating so much (laughs) yeah Yeah. i love it it's so painful but i love it (laughs) yeah i agree agree. (laughs) all right well you went through southeast asia and that's how you kind of started off and uh, i'm curious how did you end up with georgia as kind of like your home base for the past few years yeah, it's interesting. Like, uh, so we were living in Cambodia and I wanted to do something totally different after Cambodia. Um, so I was, I, I guess, you know, I kind of had that in my mind. I was listening to a lot of podcasts at the time and I think it was Extra Pack of Peanuts, which I listened to religiously back then. And they were interviewing a couple of, who had cycled around the world and they asked, what is your favorite country? And the woman answered, Georgia. And I was like, what is Georgia? <laughs> like, <laughs> Jordan? No. I, I I literally had no idea where or what or how Georgia was on a map. I knew I had not learned about it in school. You know, maybe I had, but it didn't stick in my mind at all. After I heard this, I thought, for, for some reason, you know, it wasn't anyone I knew who was speaking, but for some reason, it just really stuck in my mind and I couldn't couldn't get out of my mind. I was researching Georgia and I thought, you know, this seems like the kind of place that I would really love. I didn't have any information or data to back this up, but I just kind of had this feeling that I would really like it. Uh, 
I guess, you know, you read about the food and that's a big thing um, for me as well. And I'm not a huge wine drinker, but I, you know, I appreciate the history and the culture of wine, definitely. So I was like, yeah, we should go to Georgia. It looks very different from Cambodia. I think it would be a nice, you know, contrast, a nice thing to do after after a year in Cambodia. We wanted a little bit of a refresh, I guess. So we went to Georgia. We booked like a three-month trip. So took a gamble, took a really took a gamble that I was going to like it. Um, we had like an Airbnb in the capital, Tbilisi, for the first month and we just – it was it was March, so it was kind of shoulder season, off season, uh, and we just sort of lived basically. You know, did had like a routine and uh, really just loved the city. It was it was like nowhere nowhere I had been before. I'd been to Western Europe, of course, but I'd never been like east of I don't know Prague. Um, so it was just something totally, again, totally new and totally different. And those similar feelings that I had had when I went to Southeast Asia, I was kind of getting that vibe again from this part of the world, which was really kind of seductive. Um, and so, yeah, we traveled around. We, we were in Tbilisi for a month. We traveled around for two months. And after that, we kind of, I think a lot of people do this. They're kind of like, should I just stay here forever? <laughs> like, how do I get my belongings here to Georgia because we we really like we're considering like should we just stay we really like it it's really comfortable here uh you know I, I can see myself living here um we didn't though we ended up going to Vietnam um but after you know after this kind of experience first experience in Georgia it was just kind of always on on my mind you know whoops, that's a bit of a cliche but um you know you never you never really get it get it out of your head this idea of of living here um came back in 2019 just for a quick visit and then in 2020 we decided to spend six months in Georgia uh this was like February 2020 so we arrived like right before the pandemic became a serious issue and basically we got stuck here um uh we couldn't go back to Australia uh but it worked out really well. Like we were really, really happy and grateful that we were here during the pandemic. Um, that's just kind of what happened. I mean, we just had to roll with it um, and made the most of the situation. And now we're like very, very happy, kind of built a life here in the last couple of years. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been like pretty random. It wasn't, you know, I always kind of, from the first time I visited here, I kind of wished and fantasized about moving here but it wasn't really like a like a concerted effort to actually start living here um it just kind of happened because of the pandemic and now that we've you know invested a couple of years and have really set ourselves up here we we can see ourselves staying for a little while longer that is incredible <laughs> georgia is such a beautiful country and goodness what like what was like your first experience like um if you can think back then and like what did you first do when you first got to this country like what did you first try to experience like i i literally you know i had researched and i had read other blogs um i knew some other bloggers who had spent time in georgia but i was so like uh inexperienced and still so clueless about the country i remember we arrived like in the the late afternoon it would have been in March and 
that night we went out for a walk and I can remember like walking around the streets of Tbilisi at night and seeing someone coming from the distance. And at that moment, it was the first time that it ever came into my head that I was like, is, is this a safe country? Is this a safe city? <laughs> or like, you know, I never, I never even like researched this or thought about it. And I just knew nothing. And then, you know, you start slowly, slowly sort of piecing things together and realizing, um, you know, the kind of the place it is. So it was like basically just many of these kinds of experiences of of just being clueless and then like figuring things out as I went so figuring out you know uh just everything like everything was so foreign to me like the public transport and the food and just the way people are like you know I'm sure you had a, you had a similar experience that people are so helpful and generous and and warm under this often like kind of stony exterior and I loved that I loved like you know trying to crack people you know get people to to give you a smile because you know coming from Cambodia where everyone is so smiley I was like why are people just not smiling at me uh and so I love this like idea of um you know getting getting uh people in Georgia to to give you a smile it's kind of like a little a little challenge that we had but yeah it was like uh just like so many random and weird experiences that um yeah it's like hospitality and you know random stuff happening and things going wrong and trying to figure it out as you go that was kind of the whole trip um but at the same time just like absolute you know when you don't know what to expect everything is just so impressive and I had never seen mountains like you have here it was just totally blew me away learning bit by bit about the history and the culture was just like incredible to me and meeting people my age who had lived through like really traumatic um events in the past and hearing them you know the way that they speak about their country and their and their culture was just like so impressive to me um and really really just yeah totally hooked me on learning as much as I could about the country um and that's why I kept coming back. Well, what what about the country is so special, like the history that you learned on like that first go around? I think it's just the fact, you know, as a as a small country and the way that people have just held on to like their religion and their language and their culinary traditions in, you know, you only have to look at it on the map to see that it's kind of engulfed by these big powers. And it's always been like that for the, for the history, the entire history of the country. It's been virtually, you know, very small periods of being independent. Otherwise it's been under the rule of some other force. And just like the fact that they've been able to keep these things alive is just so impressive to me. Um, and, you know, I love, I love everything, you know, all, all the things I love coalesce here in Georgia, the food, the wine, the textiles, the language, the religion, just like little, every little thing kind of has a home here um, and kind of comes together to create this really sort of special thing that I don't know, I haven't really found it anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Well, it, I'd like to focus on Tbilisi for a little bit just because I know that's the only city I've really been to in Georgia. And I think most people, that's kind of where they're definitely going to start. So um, what's, I don't know, what's the feeling and atmosphere like in, in Tbilisi and um, comparatively to like other places maybe like in Europe that people might try to like compare it to? Yeah, so so Tbilisi is... 
I guess it's a small-ish city. It's about a million people, I think. Um, but it's like a very sort of multicultural uh I mean, in historical terms, it was like the multicultural part of Georgia. So like part of the Silk Road went through Tbilisi. It's always been this place where different people are transiting through. And so there's like so many different influences and you can see it. You can really see it in the way the city is laid out, in the architecture. It's really fascinating. You know, you have like Persian style bathhouses next to like... Russian Orthodox churches and Georgian Orthodox churches and mosques and like a fire temple and just like everything kind of like piled in on each other. And then, you know, of course, this like big Soviet, um, Soviet influence from the, from the Soviet period. Um, so it's kind of like a, it's a smallish city. It's kind of like, it's in a valley. There's a bit of a urban sprawl happening now. There's lots of like big Soviet apartment blocks on the outskirts. But the core of the city is like this very charming, um, sort of walkable, cobbled, beautiful houses and and balconies and very, very like beautiful architecture. And the cool thing, I think like the old city is kind of like actually this really quite a big area. You know, most people stay near the castle. There's a castle sort of in the centre. And all around there is an old town. The old town is also on the other side of the river. And this is like even older. It's an old Armenian area. Then you have this old German area. So there's just like all these little different pockets that, you know, together they make up the city, but each one is kind of different and has this really unique history. Um, and in yeah, it's, it's definitely, it got similarities to European cities. I mean, it's interesting because Georgia is always sort of, caught between Europe and Asia and certainly people here and culturally it's definitely feels more like you're in Europe but there is like this Asian kind of undertone and and you see it in 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 certain ways um but yeah just this like very very interesting mix of of totally like you know I, I always think if you're a big traveler if you've you know you've been to the Middle East you've been to Turkey, Iran, maybe Central Asia, Europe, you know, you kind of see like you would kind of feel like you were walking back through your travels or something if you're walking through Tbilisi because you kind of see like all these little elements that have come together over time. Um, And the city has been, I mean, the city's been, you know, um, destroyed many times and being in its location, it's always, people have always been invading. Um, So parts of it are new, but there's just like really interesting history and really interesting little pockets of districts that have kind of grown up into like their own little neighborhoods. Yeah. Most of what I guess I look at, like the old town area has that European feel, but I definitely understand with all the other influences because I think technically it is in, in Asia. I mean, it borders, um, it's right underneath Russia. It's next to the black sea. And I think it borders Turkey and Armenia. I think. Yes. I remember. Yes. And, Azerbaijan, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's like all these like different things are like right there. Like, wow, like this little country you just wouldn't like expect. And I don't know for thinking back now to my first experiences, uh, what it was like. I, I remember our Airbnb host. Well, first, like it was cool. Our Airbnb was in the old town area, very inexpensive. And I remember opening up the window 
And there were like grapes like hanging from a vine right outside <laughs> our window. I'm like, what? What is like this? Is this real? Like, is this, is this a grapevine just going up the side of this building? And now it's just we have grapes in our window. And then <laughs> we heard like a knock on our door, and our Airbnb host, who lived like next uh, and lived in the apartment next to us, they brought over a bottle of like homemade wine. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I guess um, we eventually start talking to some more people around the city, and it's kind of like a very common thing for families to make their own wine. Like, is that, is that real? Is that a real thing? Yeah, absolutely. Like, absolutely. I think every family makes wine or has like an ancestral vineyard like outside the city. Tbilisi is one of those cities where families like move, move in. Everyone has a village that they go to and a lot of people have vines in these villages outside the city and they make their own wine. It's definitely like a huge part of the culture, like huge uh you you cannot have georgia without wine it is just something that everyone is into um and it's such an interesting history well i read and i was told that georgia has the oldest wine culture in history and recorded history i i'm not sure if that's 100 percent true or not but it feels like it is uh, i'm not sure <laughs> what you know about it <laughs> yeah they um you know georgians are very very proud of this so they, they, they have, uh, I think it's, you know, in terms of what has been found, the, the stuff that they've found in Georgia is the oldest so far. So it's 8,000 years of winemaking is, is how they describe it. Cool. Um, and this is based on, yeah, based on some archaeological evidence that was only found quite recently. I think it was 2013 in the southeast of Georgia. They found clay pottery that had like the remnants of um, grape fermentation. So they say this is, you know, the first known evidence that we have that people were fermenting grapes to make wine. Uh, but the really cool thing is that the vessels that they were using to make wine that they found in this sort of prehistoric area, um, people still use those same vessels, that same technology today. And it's like really, you know, natural, no frills, uh, low intervention winemaking that is now, you know, has become really trendy. Georgians are like, well, we've been doing this for 8,000 years. <laughs> and so, you know, the, suddenly this like style of wine is really in vogue and literally people do it like in their backyards, stomping stomping grapes and using these amazing clay vessels. This is just how it's always been done. And it's called um, a quevery. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah, quevery. Yeah, exactly. Quevery. Okay. Yeah, because when you're shopping for wine in Georgia, you'll see like a certain section, or the, you'll see like a picture of the pot, and it's like this, like a guess, kind of oval kind of pot, and it's pointed at the bottom, and it's just so cool to see that that's how they've been making wine for a long time. It's very, very common, and you can find it everywhere. And yeah, you're right. It's when the whole natural wine movement started getting really popular, especially the past like 10, 10 to 15 years, the natural wine movement. And yeah, the, the Georgians are like, this is just wine. This is just how we do things. You exactly. Know? No yeah. big deal. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. And now a lot of people are like, you know, because some winemakers, you know, uh, you know, started using like European style techniques um, for a European market. But now the trend is to like go back, go back to that very simple, like rudimentary way of making wine because it's so 
like beautiful as well and and the the product is so interesting it's you know they they use the the skins of the grape and the seeds and the stems and everything for and it's like for a period of time the wine has contact with the skin of the grape and this gives it like a really sort of deep um color so a georgian white wine is often um like gold in color they call them amber wines because they've had this like oxidization i guess from the from the skins of the grapes so it's this really unique um product that yeah people are super proud of and now you see um because you know winemaking changed a lot in soviet times obviously um and and then after that people you know were were starting to experiment with european techniques but now people are going back to the cuvery and this is like kind of the old school way uh, of making wine i liked how the, the there is a, a flavor difference, a noticeable flavor difference between using the the cuvery and then using like other methods to make wine. We did this um, really in depth wine tasting the last time we were there in twenty twenty one, and um, yeah, it was pretty crazy just to like try the different types. And first of all, like they'll pour out the wines and they're like it's like a rainbow. It's like all these different shades, just like <laughs> you said the ambers, but it's not just like orange. There's like different shades of orange, different shades of yellow. And then different shades of like red as well, like from like dark red to light red. And then you try the different ones that were, you know, made like the European method and then the Georgian method. And you're just like, wow, like there is a very big difference. And my my wife just loves the wine so much because she can drink Georgian wine and not like suffer any like headaches or anything else. She can just drink a whole bunch and feel fine the next day with really like no hangover or anything like that. And I'm not too sure, you know, if that's from like the sulfites or what, but hey, it, it, it's, it's wonderful. And, and she likes it. Whatever, whatever they do, it works. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> I guess it's the, it's the natural kind of uh, process of, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Like the, the variety and, you know, there are like more than 500 grapes that are endemic to Georgia. Not all of them are still in existence, but the, the scope of like the uh, resources that are available here in every aspect is mind-blowing but in winemaking it's like wow you know so many microzones so many grapes so much so much that you can kind of blend and experiment with and it's just yeah really really interesting yeah i i found that the more i drank the more i enjoyed too it's just a different experience because i started liking wine i don't know maybe about eight years ago and ever since then i've tried wine in every single country i've visited and as much as i possibly can just to see what it's like and what's so special about this place. And I'm with my wife that Georgia is probably one of my favorites. And wine is so, so inexpensive. It is just like a, like a thing that you get <laughs> with every single meal, I feel like. <laughs> and I remember one of the yeah. first restaurants we went to, they served us their wine in like a in a in a water bottle. I guess they made it themselves or they have like a winery <laughs> and they just put in like this old like like 16 ounce like water bottle and they brought it to the table and like I love it. Like, this is perfect. I couldn't imagine a better moment than this. <laughs> I remember on my first trip, uh, we were at like a, a restaurant. I don't know if it was BYO, but these people were BYOing like these massive like <laughs> tank things of homemade wine. And I was like, oh my God, they just had it sitting under the table and they were like siphoning it off. But yeah, I don't know if you, if this was your experience as well. But for me, like one of the things I love is how unpretentious they are about wine here. It is really just like part 
part and parcel of every day. So when you do a wine tasting, it's like, you know, there's no like white tablecloth or anything like that. You nope. know, you're probably going to be with the family, you're having food, you're definitely eating something at the same time. You're not having a little taste. You're not going to be, you know, spitting it out. You're you're having like full glasses every time. You're drinking it. You're enjoying it. Yeah, there's toasting, there's chatting. There's oh, like, the toasting. It's just such a different experience. Oh, you, you got to go into the toasting if you can. Um, it, that, that's a very unique thing I've never seen anywhere else, like how Georgians like do toasts and such. Yeah. So they they do this thing called a supra. A supra is like a, a feast. It's like uh, it can be for obviously for like an important event, like a wedding or something, but also people just do them at home for you know, even just for like a family dinner. And basically like a supra is like lots and lots of food. So Georgian food, which we'll talk more about, I'm sure, but it's served in like small portions on the table, always sharing. Um, And then, yeah, an integral part of this feast is the toasting that you do with the wine, which always goes with the food. So there's a a head of the table called the tamada, like the toastmaster. And this person is like, it's usually a man and he's like nominated um, by consensus, I guess. And he has like a helper as well. And he kind of like controls what happens during the supra. And his main responsibility is to like do these really elaborate toasts that just get longer and more passionate and more like, you know, just as the night goes on, they just get better and better. But there's like a set sort of um, like a schedule that they follow, like a, like a process. So the tomato gets chosen and then there is like this sequence of toasts that that you do. Like the first one is always to God. So Georgia, Georgia is um, Orthodox Christian and religion is a really important part of the culture as well. So you like you toast to God, then you toast to country, to peace, um, to those who have passed, to children, to parents, to women, to guests. Um, and yes, each of these toasts is like a very long spiel um, that's kind of like done on the fly and is often like very beautiful and poetic and people just very rousing, I guess would be the word. Um, and yeah, with each one, you, you you must drink the whole glass. So you can imagine a lot of wine gets <laughs> consumed during these feasts. Um, and then, you know, the toasting goes on and on and on. But even, you know, in my experience, even um, if you're doing you know, having just having a glass of wine, usually someone will just assume this role of Toastmaster quite naturally and and say a few words before you drink. It's very, very common here. And what about like this drinking horn situation? I've, I've, mm-hmm. I, you know, you see them everywhere in Georgia as far as like a, I guess, tourist uh, gift or a souvenir that you can buy, but you see them too, like everywhere else you go in restaurants. Like are the horns like a, a common thing and, and describe like the drinking horn situation? Yeah. <laughs> so it's got a can a Kensi in Georgian. Kensi, um, okay. Kensi. And yeah, it's like I guess a ram's horn, I, I think, I guess. Um uh and yes, it's like an animal horn. But you know why they use them is because uh once it's full of wine, you can't put it down because it doesn't have a bottom. So it you have to drink. <laughs> you have to drink the entire contents and then so that you can lay it back down on the table. That's the idea of the of the horn. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they are popular a popular souvenir, and you find them with like little 
um, gold and silver detailing on them. But yeah, for sure, people have them at home and there's like a special stand that they can um, slot into. And I mean, I, I don't I don't think everyone uses them, but certainly they're sort of something that people might have on their mantle. Um, and, you know, I even at our butcher shop uh, here, we see them uh, up on his counter, <laughs> counter yeah. for sale. So people definitely use them. Um, and, yeah, the, it's so funny that the, the reason it's this they use this drinking vessel, this shape, is because you have to drink the whole drink. <laughs> got to drink the whole thing. You got no choice. It's, you don't want to insult the culture. You have to drink all the wine. Exactly. <laughs> so, it's, no, it's it's pretty cool. I, I think like those sort of like nuances about, about a drinking culture and about the food and stuff can, I don't know, it, it lays an impact. It's just so different than anything else I've heard of, anything else I, I experienced. And it is like part of it. We, we first kind of experienced it when we did like a pub crawl and they, uh, the host like took us to like this, uh, like wine cellar kind of area. And we did like the toast and stuff. And we played games and that's kind of like what you're supposed to do. And it was just like a really unique thing to kind of get introduced to it. And then as you kind of, um, learn more about the culture and you understand about the wine, you're like, wow, this is actually really, really important and an integral part of how they understand like food and wine. So. Well, let's talk about the food now. Like what what is Georgian food? Like what can we expect when we visit like Tbilisi to enjoy some wonderful treats? Yeah, Georgian food is a fascinating subject because, you know, again, it's one of these things that you I don't know, when you when you ask someone to picture what they think of when they think of Georgian food, it's probably like for me before I came, it was going to be something close to Russian food, which again, I didn't know a lot about, but I imagine something very like starchy and bland, but Georgian food is amazing. And it's, you know, it's very, very influenced by all these different cultures and uh, different peoples who have come through the country. But um, you know, someone said to me once, Georgia never like copies and pastes. They always take different ingredients that, you know, get brought in different recipes and they always somehow put their own spin on it. So you end up with like dishes that, I don't know, you, you just can't find these things anywhere else. And a lot of them are like quite simple things. A lot of them like would remind you of something else. Like a very popular dish is uh, hinkali, the famous dumplings. And these are like, you know, they look and sometimes taste a lot like a some sort of Chinese dumpling. And there are theories that they came from Mongolia, but Georgia just, just took this idea and made it something like totally, they just took it to the next level um, with Kinkali, which are like these like fist-sized dumplings yes. that are filled, filled <laughs> with meat and soup and they're just like pretty amazing um so yeah like there's that there's kikale and the kachapuri um so kachapuri is like cheese bread kacha is a type of cheese and then puri is bread so kachapuri is cheese bread and these two dishes are like i guess the most famous dishes that people would have heard of and seen um and count maybe encountered outside of the country but then when you get here you you realize how like vegetable heavy the cuisine is and that's something that really surprised me was just how much like fresh produce how much herbs and like fresh vegetables are used in the cooking it's like really really important um and there's a very you know interesting one of the reasons for that is because of the orthodox traditions that a lot of people fast meaning they don't eat meat or animal products for like 
quite extended periods like now in the lead up to Easter, but also, you know, some people fast twice a week so that they only eat meat for half the year. And uh, uh, quite a few people do this because people are um, quite religious here. So I think one of, you know, this is one of the reasons that so many dishes are meat free just naturally, like just using vegetables and herbs, um, and, and and so like they have this like amazing vegan friendly cuisine again without even really thinking about it. Um, so loads of fresh um, fresh ingredients. And then the other thing is that it's like so regional. So Tbilisi, um, you know, it's as the capital, you kind of get a bit of everything. But once you start moving around the country, you realize how much the food changes as you enter into the different regions and especially in the west of the country um there are like these historical regions that are now obviously georgia is a unified country but these historical regions many of them have like their own dialects and their own history and their own culture and their own food that is very very different from what you get even like a couple of hundred kilometers away in the next in the next region so you kind of uh start to discover just so many so many different flavors and you know this region food is spicy this region it's not um and in Tbilisi Tbilisi is a good really good introduction to the food because yeah a, a lot of people have come in from the regions or have family connections back to the regions so when they uh when they're looking for food or if they open a restaurant they're often you know um serving regional specialties so you can kind of find a bit of everything I love Georgian food. I miss it a lot. <laughs> I, I'm i glad I tried a lot of different things the last time I was in Tbilisi because one of the, like, the best things I had, I don't even know what it's called. I just remember I saw a picture on a menu. I'm like, let's, let's just try this. And it was like this like, egg, like like stewed eggplant dish with like other vegetables and they had like house bread with it. And it was, it was one, probably one of the most fa- flavorful things. I've like ever eaten in my entire life. It was phenomenal. <laughs> it it sounds like ajap sandali, which which is like they say the the Georgian ratatouille or a ragu. Yeah, it's like yeah. A, a vegetable ragu. That's a good example of a vegetarian dish that um it just doesn't have meat but has so much flavor. And yeah, I didn't mention about spices, like so many like so many. unique spices. It's it's really it's really cool. Yeah. And one of my wife's favorite things are like the tomato salads and just like tomato cucumber. And then they can dress it with like walnut, like a walnut paste, like crushed up walnuts and stuff. Uh-huh. Even just something yeah. as simple as that with like olive oil and salt. Super yeah, the great. Tomato, Super the tomato are, are crazy, crazy good. Like I've never had like a tomato. So, you know, even when I look at photos, they're like so vibrant and juicy and <laughs> so much flavor. I never knew you could have a tomato so good. And yeah, this super simple salad, uh, tomato, cucumber, some parsley, and yeah, the the walnut paste is so good. And you know, think things that you find in restaurants, they're you know, there's no like separation between restaurant food and family food. So like, if you go to someone's house, this is also what people eat like every day, um, which I think is really nice as well. These dishes are very like, you know, perfected over a, a long period of time, and yes, yeah, sometimes so simple, but but so delicious. There is one restaurant in particular in Tbilisi that we thought served like this really crazy good tomato salad because they served it and dressed it with, I don't know, like these like marinated like flowers. Um, the uh-huh. restaurant, I'm going to try to pronounce this, is Salobibia. 
Um, uh huh. Celery. Yeah. That place was just phenomenal with the, <laughs> with the bread. Like we went there a couple of times, literally just for the tomatoes and the bread that they made. Just mind mind blowingly good. And it sounds basic. It's just like the tomatoes like chopped up, and they have like some other sort of like things in there. But when you see a picture, you're like oh, that's just tomatoes on a plate. No, it is not just tomatoes on a plate. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, we had, to, we had to keep going back because it was just like this flavor explosion that we just couldn't like get over. Like, goodness, what is like, what magic did they perform in the kitchen and what voodoo? Because this is like highly, highly, highly addictive. So anyways. <laughs> yeah. The, um, the flowers, the pickles, they're called John Jolie. And um, it's like some some people call it Georgian capers. I don't know why. There's like this tendency here to like give everything an equivalent when really it's like, no, those, those are not anything like capers. It's like this, um, it's called like bladdernut root in English. Uh, I don't know where else it's eaten, but yeah, they, they, they're kind of this weird thing that they pickle and um, did, but yeah, it just adds this like tangy element to the salad and you have it also on, on like a plate, for, like a um, piccali is like a very popular dish that's like these vegetable pastes kind of thing. Mm. Um, so yeah, it goes with that as well. Yeah, it's super delicious. Have you been to that restaurant I'm talking about? I you have, know? yes, yes. Okay. So you go down, down into the bottom of the uh, theater. Yeah, that's right. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. Have you tried that tomato yeah. dish then? <laughs> I have, yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, it's like, oh. Uh, well, for us, you know, like going back, we just like loved it so much because we went there the first time and it was in a different location. Now now it's in like a more central uh, yeah. location in the city. And like, oh my gosh, it's just as good as we remembered. Like the first oh, time good. we went to Georgia, I think it was 2019, I think. Right. Yeah, yeah right. it was 2019, like before COVID and stuff. And so- Second time around in 2021, yeah, we just had to go back and, and get some more. And um, I mean, Kankali too, like you need to sell this a little bit more for people to understand because when you said fist size, like it's true, like they are fist size dumplings. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I'm serious, yeah. Not a small fist. I mean, like my, <laughs> like my big, like meaty fist that I have. <laughs> and yeah. And I would take these dumplings because I've been to Taiwan. I've had soup dumplings over there in a couple of different spots and Asian soup dumplings, like in East Asian soup dumplings are great. Like they are phenomenal, but the Georgians, I say just take first prize because I don't know, there's something about the whole process. Cause it's huge to like, you have to pick it up with like two hands. You have to bite a hole, <laughs> like be careful not to scold your mouth. You have to blow in there a little bit and then like suck out this soup. And then once you drink all the soup, you like bite into it and just this like juicy meatball in the center with like this thick wrapper. It's just wonderful, wonderful experience. And I like mine with like a little bit of pepper too. So yeah. Yeah, that's that's the local way. That's that's good. Um yeah, you can also put like once you bite your whole, you can put vinegar in there, which is really yummy oh, or yeah. like a special what one regional one um that I really like in Kevsaretti, they put melted butter inside which what (laughs) (laughs) add melted melted butter to anything it's delicious but yeah these these dumplings are like they they're so big they have their own like handle thing so that's right you know you you have this little handle to pick it up with (laughs) but you don't eat the handle that's kind of like the thing that's like you don't you don't eat the handle you always leave that behind good good etiquette to leave it 
<laughs> yeah. Well, Unless you're really hungry, then yeah. you can. <laughs> if you... Well, we, like when we did like that pub crawl, um, our host went to like, we did all the pub things and then we were, we were all just hanging out. It was like three o'clock in the morning. And apparently these Kankali houses are open 24 <laughs> hours. So we go into this Kankali house at three o'clock in the morning and I go to like eat the handle. She's like, no, 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 don't do that. I'm like, oh, why not? She's like, you're not supposed to eat it. Like, trust me. Like, like uh, <laughs> Okay. I mean, it's just dough. It's like, there's no poison in it. It's just what they do, which is cool, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Leave the yeah. handle behind. Yeah. Then you can see exactly how many dumplings each person at the table has had. <laughs> so if you've had over your quota, you uh, <laughs> you know, with there's no hiding, you can, the right. evidence is, is right there on your plate. Yeah. And the Kankali houses in Tbilisi, I thought were kind of interesting. A lot of them are kind of like are they like music venues or like dance halls or something? Cause I've walked into like two or three of them and there's like a stage and there's like bright lights and stuff. And one of them, there's a performer like playing acoustic guitar one night. Is that like a normal thing? There is this like, yeah, I mean, I think this comes from the Supra, right? It's like having music and singing, you know, I, I should have mentioned with the toasts, you know, as you go deeper into the night and deeper into the wine, people often sing, you know, something about Georgia, like almost everyone has a beautiful singing voice. And so people often just like break out into chorus. So I think this, you know, having the music and and folk song as as part of the dinner experience is like something quite traditional and something that a lot of families like and there are there are i mean there's different ways to do it like there are some more touristy restaurants that do this kind of like dinner and a show type thing that's like a little bit more staged but i mean yeah i've had similar experiences even restaurants that don't have any setup for music when someone just suddenly pulls out a guitar or a panduri, which is a, a stringed instrument and just starts playing something and singing. And it's just like, Oh my God, <laughs> you know, it's like so emotional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's such a great thing to experience that live and to enjoy it all. And there's definitely more beyond like Kinkali and Kachapuri, like you mentioned. And it's great to hear that the different regions have their own unique style because the next time we go to Georgia, we're going to for sure like go to the different places uh, in different big cities in the country. So where, what city are you in right now? So I'm in Kutaisi, which is about three, four hours west of Tbilisi. And it's the second biggest city by population. So why did you pick that city to kind of live in for a little while compared to just being in Tbilisi as like the home base? Yeah, so we were in Tbilisi for a year um, and we we came here about 18 months ago just just for a change. I mean, Tbilisi is an amazing city and I'll always love it, but it was very, it's very like busy and it's like a little bit congested now. Uh, And then now in the past 12 months, it's certainly changed a lot with, um, you know, things that are going on in the world has been a big like demographic shift in the in the city and it's just a lot more crowded than it used to be and a lot more expensive i'm sorry to say maybe by the time oh, you get no. back it'll, it'll change <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> yeah. um but we kind of left before that just we just because we were looking for something a little bit different and we always loved kutaisi it's like a very um, it, I mean, it's a tiny city, you know, it's like 300,000 people. Um, so relatively it, it's very small, but it's very, very charming. It's very historic. So the region that we're in, in Moretti is like kind of 
um, it's in the middle of the country and it's kind of like surrounded by other regions, whereas other every other region is either has a border on the sea or has a border that's international. Imereti is kind of like, you know, sheltered. And people say that this is like a very authentically Georgian um, region and city because of that, because, you know, they didn't have so much influence from uh, the Persian influence in the east or the Ottoman influence in the west. That's kind of how it was historically, whereas Kutaisi is kind of in the middle. So they kind of have this like very Georgian um, architecture and, you know, it was like the intellectual city in the past. So a lot of like writers and poets and artists came from Kutaisi. And then in the Soviet period, it became well, they tried to make it like an industrial city. So you have these like layers of history that are really fascinating, you know, this very old history, then this like Soviet uh, industrial kind of stuff that I also find fascinating. You have those two things kind of coalescing. Um, and then just like from a livability, livability point of view, Kutaisi is just the perfect size, like you can walk everywhere. It's very green and fresh, fresh air. It's close to the mountains. It's close to the Black Sea. So it's a really good base for traveling. And there's also an international airport here, which makes it good <laughs> for, um, for traveling as well. Not that I've been traveling much, but when, when I do, uh, it's really handy to have that nearby. Yeah, yeah. What food things can you get only there that you can't find, like in Tbilisi? Or what do they do really, really well there? So this region is known for its like um, heavy use of vegetables and herbs and you find a lot of chicken and not much red meat and no kinkali. Like kinkali is not um, kinkali is not traditional here. It's like a mountain dish and you get it in Tbilisi. I mean, you can find it, of course, but it's not traditional to Imereti. Here you get more like the vegetable-based dishes like pakali, which I mentioned, which is like it's like a dip kind of thing that they make with um, chopped walnuts and like beetroot leaves, for example. But you, you normally order a platter and you get like like four or five different colored balls and they're all made with like a different leaf or a different vegetable and they're like super delicious. And you you scoop them up and you put them on um, cornbread called machadi. So there's also a lot of corn in this part of the country, whereas in the east it's more like wheat. So you have like, um, you know, regular puri bread. Here you get like cornbread, um, which is kind of different as well. Uh, and then, yeah, like heaps of chicken um, dishes, like they're very good with like chicken and fruit. So you have like blackberry chicken and um, like barberries and these really like yummy, yummy foods. Um, so that's kind of what, that's what Imereti is known for. And would you recommend first timers kind of, trying to fit that into the trip um, in, in Kataisi or should they kind of just stay in Tbilisi for the first time and the second go around maybe go there? Yeah, it depends how much time you have. I mean, Kutaisi is a very good base if you want to, if you find yourself wanting to travel to Svaneti, which is the mountain region in the west, or in if even if you want to go to Batumi on the coast, Kutaisi is kind of almost halfway between 
Tbilisi and, and those places. So it's a really convenient place to stop for a couple of nights. It's a really good base if you want to like hire a car and go through some of these sort of lesser visited regions that have like beautiful um, hiking and nature, lots of hiking opportunities around here. It really depends how much time you have. I mean, the history here is really interesting, but it is a very small city and you can kind of see the highlights in a day really. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm biased. I love it here. So I'm, I, you know, I hate to see, I hate to see people fly into the airport and then just get on the bus and go to Tbilisi. Uh, I really like wish people would just like stay here just for a night um, just to experience like a different a different city in Georgia because you know with the same with every country right the capital is kind of a, a weird microcosm of you know compared to the rest of the country it's a little bit strange um, uh, Kutaisi is like a very kind of charming I would say charming city all right well Goodness, Georgia just has these like full surprises. I know we can go on and on about the different parts of Georgia, but um, I do want to move on to maybe understanding more about your other recent travels and what you've been doing as far as travel um, outside of Georgia. So have you been anywhere interesting in the past year outside the, of the country? I'm a very bad travel blogger. I haven't been traveling much at all. That's okay. But um, no, but I did do a great um, trip to Istanbul last year and that was fantastic. So even though it's just, you know, we share a border with Turkey, so it was just one country over, going to Istanbul was um, coming from Georgia where, you know, <laughs> the big yeah. city is like tiny. Uh, it was a shock to the system. I'd been there before, but this was her first proper trip and it was just fabulous. And yeah, I, I, you know, I would want to go there. If I could, I'd go there once a year. It's just like, so again, like just overwhelming, but in the best possible way. I love Istanbul as well. Um, we're actually thinking about well, I guess it depends on the world situation. Um, we wanted to do another like East Asia kind of trip again. And we're thinking about maybe we should go to like Istanbul first, then go to Georgia and then go over to uh, like Thailand and stuff like that uh, this, later on this year. Um, it's just Istanbul was, it really is. It's, it's a beautiful city, lots of good food everywhere. And because it's, um, I don't know, because of where it's like located, I don't know what it is exactly that makes it so special the way it looked the way it is, but the sunsets are so beautiful. It's like, it really is like this beautiful painting with like the clouds and how the sun like reflects off like the buildings and then off the clouds. And then you see these silhouettes of the mosques and it's, I don't know, it's, it's like an, an idyllic kind of place. It just kind of takes your breath away and you just can't help but just stare at the sunset every single night. Yeah, I agree. I went to Galata Bridge, Galata Bridge, mm -hmm. yeah, for, for Bridge, that kind yeah. of classic sunset. And I was like, oh, this is so touristy. I can't believe we're doing this. But oh my goodness, like, oh, it was just so beautiful. And the seagulls, you know, yeah. I, I was I was trying to get like the perfect photo of the seagulls with the mosque. Um, so I, I really love photography. I like my background is in writing, but through this process of my blog, I have just fallen in love with photography and I, I wanted this like perfect shot. And I, I was there for like a while. And then I realized that uh, when the garbage truck was coming to drop garbage off uh, in, in the bin, that's when the seagulls would like fly into the air. So I was like, okay, I'm going to wait for the garbage truck to come back. And, you know, it was like this, this little 
trick that I noticed. And yeah, sure enough, the seagulls just fly up in the air and everything it does. It just looks like a scene out of some storybook that you read as a child, but you didn't actually, it's just kind of imprinted in your mind somehow. It was just like perfect. I So many scenes like that in Istanbul. I love it. And I I actually miss the the prayers that happen like five times a day because it's predominantly, you know, uh, Islamic. And I've never experienced anything like that as an American. And because America, you know, it's mostly, you know, Christian, like all over the place. And I grew up Christian. And then going to, you know, Istanbul and seeing just like the the real, the dedication, the rituals that go involved, they're involved with you know, all the prayers, it's just like five times a day, like over these loudspeakers, you'll hear um, someone uh, reciting the the call to prayer. And it's just, it's beautiful. It really is like a crazy, like singing kind of chanting thing that, that kind of happens. And I even saw, we're on the Galata Bridge during one of the calls to prayer and a guy like is on a motorbike, pulls over takes out his prayer mat on the sidewalk and starts to pray, you know, gets down on his knees. I'm like, geez, like, goodness, no Christian America, I think, would do that. (laughs) You know, if if they were called, they felt compelled to pray, well, they pull over on the side of the road and pray, you know? So it's like, geez, like, that is such a crazy thing to see. And then you see them in the mosques, like, um, their fountains where they clean, you know, their their face and uh, their feet and hands and stuff before they go into prayer. It's um, a beautiful thing that, to witness, you know, with your own eyes and see, because I've studied these things or you'll see some things on TV about, um, a little bit about what they do until you witness it yourself. It's like this whole different experience altogether. Yeah. I, I love this, you know, this idea that the city has this like rhythm, like defined by these prayer times and that everyone is kind of thinking and doing the same thing at certain times of day it's just like something so special about that and yeah hearing you know that that life kind of revolves around these these calls to prayer and these prayer times and everything is kind of arranged around that is yeah it's fascinating and what do you think about turkish breakfast Oh, uh, yes. So Georgia has, <laughs> Georgia has no breakfast, like literally no breakfast culture. It's like late to rise, late to rest very much. So here, so going to like somewhere where there's a proper breakfast, I was in heaven because I, I love breakfast and Turkish breakfast is, yeah. I mean, do I really need to say, <laughs> can I say? we went to a great restaurant in, uh, Alats, I think it was. And, um, yeah, just how like, we were just like going for the full spread every day, full spread every day because it was yeah heaven. And this particular place, they had like very artisanal little bits and pieces in the, I love like jam and sweets and um so you know i'll have sweets any time of day and having like yeah these oh yeah it was so good i loved it yeah for those listening who are unfamiliar with turkish breakfast it's it's it really is a whole spread these like little like dishes come out these little ramekins of like olives and then different types of like dips like and pastes and things and you you have like eggs of different types and then you have you know different types of tea and then you have different types of bread and then it's just this whole thing that covers your whole table of, I guess, a mix of flavors and just, you can't, you, I mean, you can't have like the same bite twice, really. You have to like mix and match and you try these different things that you wouldn't normally do. And it's just, it's delicious. I mean, it's one of the best experiences you can probably have in Istanbul in general. 
yeah we did that on our first morning and it was like the perfect start to the trip you know so just so perfect and of course so photogenic is like this abundant oh, yeah. bread of mini dishes which i mean that just drives me crazy i love it <laughs> yeah. yeah actually one of my top 10 favorite things i've ever eaten in my life was in istanbul it was this kebab place and it was a certain type of kebab that was horizontal um, I'm not gonna pronounce it correctly, but it's like Kog Kebab is what, um, it's what it looks like it's pronounced. And they had this open fire and there's like this huge spit. I mean, probably like oh, 200, 300 pounds of meat on this spit and it's going over this open fire. And then a guy takes a skewer, skewers the, the, the big kebab thing and then cuts off these little pieces on the skewer. And then they do a super hard sear on a separate fire off to the side with higher heat. And then they give it to you. And they have this really thick. Like paper thin, like flatbread, they'd serve with it, and it was, it was phenomenal. Oh my goodness! Like my wife and I could eat until we were completely full, and you could just keep ordering more skewers until you're full. We eat completely like until we couldn't eat anymore, bursting to the rim. Like, and it it was only like ten dollars, you know, total, (laughs) not per person, but total. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is like the best thing like ever. I'd have to, I'll I'll find it. I'll put in the show notes the page of. In case people are interested in going there, but it was just like my favorite. There's so many little places that have like such a long history, and I love I love how this is similar in Asia, right? Where the restaurant or the the little shop just specializes in one thing, and they do it really really well. Um, I love that. Um, I did a I did a food tour when I was there, um, and tried this this famous dessert that's made with chicken breast. Um, I don't know if you got to try that, but it's like a sweet that's like, you wouldn't, you would have no idea it had chicken in it, but at, at the end, you know, you eat it and it's like, yum, what's this? And at the end, they tell you, it's chicken. It's chicken. <laughs> and you're like, oh my God. Um, but yeah, I, that was like probably the most unique thing that I had, but it was super delicious too. And I was like, hmm, oh yeah, I, w- I would have that again. So many sweets. I love, I love sweets. Oh, the like baklava was, mm. oh my gosh, like next, next level. Just watch them make this stuff too. There's some places where they'll like make it in the window and you're like staring in. It's just put it, put it in this boiling hot, like sugar water and like this puff pastry thing. It was so good. I can't, yeah. I can't say how much I like enjoyed eating in Istanbul. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Very good place. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up, I don't know why, but I, I've always loved Turkish Delight. Uh, so yeah, I've, I went crazy in these beautiful Turkish Delight shops. I mean, in Australia, it's obviously the version that we get of Turkish Delight is very different. But yeah, it was uh, the, those shops where they have all, you know, all the different nuts and textures and colors of, of the, the Turkish Delight. Yeah, really beautiful. Oh goodness. Yeah. Now I'm getting hungry. (laughs) (laughs) There's something there called a Kmok. It's like almost like a clotted cream almost. Um, And goodness, just like that with some honey and like bread (gasps) was just goodness. One of of the best things. (laughs) Yes. I know exactly. It's like Buffalo Bowl Kmok. I think I had. Oh, so good. So good. Honey. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right, moving on. <laughs> moving on before I get too hungry and I have to eat something right away. Um, now, I kind of want to talk about your travels as a whole, like all the places you've kind of been and your collective experiences. So, like, what is a destination that you've traveled to that was significantly different than your expectations? Good, bad, and anywhere in between? 
Yeah, so I haven't really spoken about the Balkans, which is also another region that I really love. And in 2019, we spent six months doing buses and trains like overland in the Balkans. So we went to every country. We spent like at least a month, um, not a full month, but you know, a long period of time in each of the countries. And I think those countries really um, blew me away, especially places like Bosnia, Kosovo, Albania that, you know, you hear you hear stories about and then you get there and wow, just it's so different to how they're portrayed in the media. And I guess like, you know, the history of these countries is very turbulent, especially Bosnia and it's like awful. But I grew up in the nineties, like, you know, hearing about the war, the Yugoslav war on, on TV, being there and seeing like what it was really like was just like incredible. And I, I love that region. Um, and all those countries surprised me because just just so different to what I what I had imagined. Um, I think especially Kosovo, I think um, the people there were just like so genuinely friendly and curious and welcoming that I really, you know, I really, it's such a cliche that people, the, the people make the place, but I really believe that. Like that's something I love about Georgia as well. And I had that same feeling in Kosovo. Like you, when you when you have these sort of encounters with people, it just makes every day special. Um, so Kosovo really, really surprised me. I really wanted to try to go there. We, despite the pandemic, we actually uh, traveled anyways. We actually went to, that's when we went to Istanbul. I went to Croatia and then we went to Albania and we're debating where to go to another country because of like what was open in Kosovo, I think was one of the countries that was like kind of open at the time that we could probably get into. And uh, unfortunately, we just didn't have enough time, but uh, we definitely went to Albania and that was like a sleeper country of good food that really, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> yes, I agree. In a sea of chivafi, like everything else is chivafi. Which trap is good, but Albania has like this like crazy good food scene. Yeah. I was really blown away too. <laughs> yeah, we had some of the best seafood dishes of our life in Tirana, which is a little bit like 30 minutes or an hour from the coast, the capital. Right. They have crazy cool architecture, like all around, just really magnificent, beautiful buildings. And everything's pretty inexpensive. And then we were like right by this like locals kind of spot where they had like roast chicken and like lamb meatballs and stuff. And it was just amazing. These like lamb meatballs, they would, we would just get like six of them with like a tzatziki sauce and like some homemade bread. And they have a freshly like cooked rotisserie chicken. Everything is done over like hardwood. Like nothing's like over gas. I'm like, this is like heaven for me right, right now. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely had some good food in Albania too. There was one place, uh, it's called Jirokasta. It's like a old UNESCO village in the mountains. And uh, I don't know if this dish is Albanian or, you know, because there are so many influences and really influ interesting influences from Italy um, and Greece. But this dish, it was like a big hunk of like almost like a halloumi cheese and it was like deep fried and then covered in honey and sesame seeds. Yeah. And you, you just like eat this thing and it's like how but how could you eat that but then you eat it and wow it's so good <laughs> <laughs> well what's cool about these different countries when they have their own like cheeses they're all like a little bit different like i forgot to like mention like the cheeses in like the um in, in the kankali um no in uh, in, in kachapuri yeah. it's like um it's definitely a ripened kind of cheese it can be kind of a little pungent it's very salty 
And that's what makes it so good. Like when you get the one that's like a bread boat with like the egg in there and you mix it all up to me, like I just, I love that strong, like cheese kind of flavor, you know? And then, uh, and then you go other places, like sometimes they're like not as intense. Sometimes they're like lighter and it's just, yeah. Cheeses from these different countries says a lot about the people. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like some can be so earthy and like, you know, when you can really taste the farm that it came from, yeah. <laughs> that's really I like, like how you put it earthy. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah. I like that earthy, earthy. I have to use that one. <laughs> Um, okay, uh, uh, moving on here. Um, from your travels, what has been one of your most like impactful moments? It could be something that happened emotionally, something about personal growth, or a moment you shared with another person. Oh, that's such a hard question. I, you know, I I don't want to talk about Georgia over and over again, but really, like I've had so many experiences here that have, um, you know, impacted me, and I think it's. You know, even just, you know, okay, so after living here for a couple of years, you still continue to have these experiences that make you feel like you're here for the first time. You, you make you feel like this is your first night in the country. And it's like something so particular to Georgia. I don't know how how they do it, but it just happens to me over and over again. Um, like last year we were just at a restaurant and, you know, I was talking about this before when people just like break out into song and it's like, I don't know. It's hard to explain like how emotionally kind of just emotional these these kinds of experiences are. I think because people are so like genuine and so you just like feel the passion like crazy. And uh, yeah, I've had so many experiences like that with with just like unexpected, um, you know, people just, just doing something out of the blue, singing you know, whatever it is, you know, some you meet someone on the bus and they invite you to their winery to pick grapes or something like that. You know, these things just happen all the time. And like now, you know, even though I've, you know, I couldn't count how many times something like that has happened to me in Georgia, every time it happens, it just kind of makes you feel like, oh, it just reminds you like how special it is here. And, and yeah, you feel like a tourist again. And I love I do love feeling like a tourist. I am. I still think of myself as a tourist. You know, every day I like experience and learn something new and I'll never, you know, you know, I, I know a lot about Georgia and, uh, you know, I'll never know everything. And there's something so special and so like intriguing about that fact that you can just keep, keep, keep learning and keep having these really like special experiences, like almost on a daily basis. I mean, there's been so many things like that. It's yeah, just that country, that kind of country. And someone invited you to go to their winery from the bus? That happens. That happens all. That happens all the time. Yeah, what? I mean, even <laughs> we, we did a, a road trip a couple of uh, like just these random things because I don't know. It's like we 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 were doing a road trip and we wanted to um, visit this fortress, so we stopped at a little shop and asked for directions and you know something really innocuous like that in Australia. You they just like point you point you in the direction, but this lady she like opened up her house so we could park her car our car in her driveway then her husband came out he walked us all the way to the place it was like he took like an hour out of his day to do this to make sure we arrived safely then you know we had a look around we came back then we come back into the house and you know there's this huge spread of like 
honey and sweets and biscuits and tea and coffee and you know you have to go in and sit down so you have to like be flexible when you're in Georgia because things like this happen and suddenly you're like sitting at a table and you know you you, you kind of have to you, you can't say no to people people are so generous even when they have so little it's just this like huge culture of hospitality it's like so important here so yeah suddenly you're at this table and you know three hours have passed and you're and you're like i just (laughs) i was just looking for for directions to the castle but (laughs) this is this is what happens all the time oh my goodness well it's so great to have an experience that sort of hospitality in a place because if someone did that to me you know, I would be really skeptical. I'm like, are they trying to like scam me or something? Like, are they going to like try to steal my stuff? But no, they're just being good, genuine people. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can, you know, you got to, you got to use your common sense as well, but for the 99% of the time, and certainly in, in my experience, I've never had a negative experience here. People are just genuinely like, they say here that a guest is a gift from God. And people really take that seriously. Oh. You know, guests are treated like in very, very high esteem. Um, and and you will find that people are just genuinely helpful. People are genuinely like so proud of their country and of their culture and sometimes so like surprised that, oh, you know, you're from Australia and you know where I live, you know what Georgia is. And they're so like genuinely happy to share with other people that they'll just give up their entire day to like teach you or show you some Georgian folk song or, you know, show you this photo album or, you know, take you to see the family winery. Like people genuinely will do that for you. And it's, it's really special. Oh goodness. I feel like I could learn a thing or two from the Georgians when it comes to hospitality and being that kind. Goodness. Okay. I like that. I like that a lot. Just makes me want to go back even more, you know? <laughs> well, well Georgia is one of the only countries where we wanted to go back. Like all the other countries we've only yeah. been to like one time. And Georgia was like the one country, like, you know, we have to go back. To Georgia. And now we've been talking about it. Like we got to go back a third time because we just enjoyed <laughs> it so much, you know? So, okay. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. It's interesting that you say that. I find that most people do come back. They, they There's something that kind of hooks you in and yeah, it, you, you often meet someone or have some connection and, and then there's just like, you know, there's so, there's so much to do here in such a small like geographic area that, you know, even I have like hundreds of places I still want to visit. Um, yeah, you, it's the kind of place you can keep coming back, and yeah, it just like I don't know, it's just it's such an easy place to travel as well. It feels so it feels like home. I can understand that feeling for sure. I always tell like Tierra, like when I'm ready to write a book, like I'm we're gonna go to Georgia and we're gonna be there for like six months because we can have a lot of good food. Everything's within like a short distance. And uh, I have a lot of wine and I can just drink and write and, <laughs> and do my thing uh, when, I'm, when I'm ready to write a book. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, two more questions uh, left here. Um, so what is one meal that you wish everyone could experience? Like if you had like a magic wand, you can just wave it and make this one meal appear in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. I, I really like love the Supra, having that experience in Georgia, I think is really cool. But, you know, if there's one dish that I love and tell everyone to try here, it's called Shkmer Ruli. 
And it's like, again, something really simple. And it's just like a chicken. It's usually a whole chicken that is like quartered. And it's cooked in this clay pot called a ketsi. And the, the sauce is like garlic and cream. So it's like super, super simple. But like when I say garlic, I mean like a lot of garlic. A lot it's of garlic, like yeah. Really garlicky. <laughs> um, and then some in some areas they might add um, like ajiko, which is this like, um peppery kind of spice mix from the west of the country so that it can have a bit of heat um but mostly it's just garlic and it's like this creamy sauce and yeah it's just so good like i love garlic and this dish is just like oh heaven and it comes in this like big clay clay dish it's served in the in the dish that's baked in and then you get like a big piece of bread to like mop up all the sauce it's like so good in winter um yeah, and it's like a lot. A lot of people love it, and apparently it's really popular in Japan. And they have like a instant shikamaruli, like an instant noodle thing that you can buy in the supermarket, and you like add water, and it makes like a shikamaruli. That's how popular it is uh, among uh, the Japanese consumer market. So that's that's kind of interesting. But yeah, that's definitely my my favorite dish, and something that I encourage everyone to try when they're here. It's from uh, Racha, which is. A mountain region quite close to where I am, but you can find it in pretty much every restaurant because, yeah, everyone loves it and it's it's really popular. <laughs> it's funny because that's actually like one of my wife's favorite things she's ever eaten was was uh, that and we um I forgot what restaurant, but they did theirs like she loves garlic, so like by all means she's gonna love it all, already. And they had like that like a hot oil, just like you mentioned, like uh, the, the hot pepper but it was like an oil form. So like a little drizzle of like that hot oil on there. And the chicken skin was like ultra crispy, like delicious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you, you, even though it's like in like submerged in this sauce, you still cut into it and you still hear like that crunch. Oh, I can see. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's actually one of the first dishes we actually ate with the, um, the restaurant that gave us like wine in like a, a plastic bottle. <laughs> so like, yeah, yeah. Uh, Good combination. Place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Last question. Um, what is one travel memory that you wish you could relive? And you can't make any changes, but you have to relive it as it was the very first time. Okay. I'm going to go somewhere totally different for this question. But uh, when I when we were, you know, this was many years ago, but we did one of my favorite trips was a road. We did a road trip around Oman. So my first time in the Middle East, again, like, I don't know why I wanted to go to Oman, but I was like, it looks cool. I'm going to like it. And we did a road trip and it was like so fun. It was such an epic trip. But there was this day when we were like looking for this wadi, which is like a oasis in the desert, like this like canyon thing with, you know, beautiful water and palm trees and and we were we were looking for this for this wadi uh, driving around and and we met this group of um like young Omani guys and they were like they like showed us where to go and uh you know we you know you hear things about Middle Eastern culture sometimes and you're like oh people aren't going to want to you know be you know talking to tourists and these guys were like so friendly and I remember them you know they had this like beautiful traditional dress that they were wearing and they like took it off and they were swimming in the water and everywhere it was like just like a really cool like sort of you know we couldn't really communicate with each other but it was like I don't know it's just this like special kind of intimate um experience and then they were just such lovely guys and then they um they 
we, we you know when it came to that time to leave they followed us in the in their car and um they like suddenly we were going through this town and they like motioned for us to pull over and we pulled over and we, they were like you know this is a, a restaurant we we should you know go to the restaurant for food and maybe we had asked them for somewhere to eat or something like that anyway we ended up ordering and eating and then um they they left and we you know went to pay the bill and the owner was like no no like they already settled the bill and they had like these guys who were like Jeez. helped us find this wadi and like had this like cool swimming experience and then they like bought us lunch without telling us and then they just like drove off into the sunset like they wanted nothing in return they you know they I don't know they didn't even you know they weren't even you know particularly chatty or anything it's just like this like unspoken kind of really funny experience but we were like so touched by this gesture that they paid the bill and I don't know it was something so simple but you know I was young at the time and you know this was you know uh an early travel experience for me and I was like wow people are so nice like you you just don't expect things like that to happen and that was just such a perfect um a perfect experience in what was such an interesting and uh different trip that yeah again like being in that region which was like so different to anywhere else I had traveled um it was really eye-opening and I will always remember that as just something like so small but so like impactful amazing amazing I love it when those sort of things happen goodness all right well Emily thank you so much <laughs> for all your travel stories and your abundant knowledge about Georgia the food and the culture if our audience wants to follow you. What is the best way for them to do that? So I, I live on my website. My website is Wanda Lush. So my last name is Lush, my real name. Um, but my website is Wanda, like W-A-N-D-E-R hyphen Lush.org. So everything is on there um, on my blog post and stuff. And then um, you can find links to my social media. But on Facebook, that's also what I'm under. And then on Instagram, I'm just under my name, Emily underscore. Uh, yeah, I post. Uh, I post mainly about Georgia, but um, all other kinds of stuff from my travels as well. And I also want to mention that I have a guidebook, so I'm going to be releasing that soon. Maybe oh, in time for your next trip, if you yeah. want to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be about uh, about T- Tbilisi, so maybe I can uh, give you some more tips for your third visit. Yeah, uh, to Georgia. So that'll be out soon. I am so excited to go back. I want to visit Tbilisi again. I want to see other parts of the country. And of course, enjoy the delicious, wonderful wines there as well. Emily just has this great, vast knowledge of Georgian culture and a little bit of those nuances I didn't quite know or understand. So I I was really happy just to hear that, okay, they have great toasts. They have this important uh, pride in their culture and with visitors. And It just makes me so excited just to return back to the country. And I know it's a bit out of the way and no, it's a bit of a different kind of spot. But if you're really looking for something a little bit different where you're not going to be disappointed, just take it from me, take it from Emily and a lot of other experienced travelers that Georgia is a very, very special place. For the show notes to this podcast with resources from Emily that she's written about uh, pertaining to everything we've talked about today, if you're curious about the food. Uh, the cultural aspects and where to go in Georgia, go to nomadicfoodist.com slash wanderlush. That's nomadicfoodist.com slash wanderlush for all those details that Emily wants you guys to have. 
If you like this episode, please hit that subscribe button so that every single week you get a brand new episode from amazing travelers and food lovers from around the world. Thank you again for listening and remember, eat with an adventurous heart no matter where you go.